Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 95 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, dear listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is that I hear you ask? Well, it is only the simplest, yet most ethereal, most humble, yet most bold, most experiential, most spiritual, most fantastical, most mathematical, most sexual, most everything you will possible form of being that one can possibly achieve. And how does it get achieved, I hear you ask? Well, very simple, I told you. All we've got to do is watch every single movie the man I call the Golden Hog of Hollywood Nick of this Cage has ever made. And we continue that journey this week with episode 95. We're jumping ahead just to touch just a little bit to 2021 for the horror western Prisoners of the Ghostland. I'm joined this week by the editor, writer and owner of culturedvultures.com, Jimmy Donellan, an old friend of mine uh, who has very kindly joined me to talk about this weird, uh, odd-muddled old film. So we'll be talking about, well, trying to get our heads around what this film actually is, what we think the messages might be, trying to decode the ending, um, as well as this idea that they have of Cage in the film, and of course, testicles. It was a lot of fun to have Jimmy on the podcast, and I do so believe that you will enjoy this episode as well. Uh, Now, it is worth noting with this episode that um, in the months preceding this episode being recorded, the director, a number of sexual allegations have come forward about the director from um, actors and uh, cohorts in the uh, film industry alike. So it is important to note that we absolutely uh, detest the actions that have been made of this director. We completely dispel him. He is, for all intents and purposes... Um, allegedly, I suppose, because of slander, a piece of shit. Uh, so we and um, we make as little possible reference to him um, in the movie as possible, only when it is factually uh, linked to the film. Um, so just to put that out there, he's a scumbag, and uh, we want nothing more to do with him. With that aside, um, it is still a very wonderful episode, um, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can find all the links down in the description down below. But with that being said, let's get into it. It is episode 95, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Down Edge, joined by Jim Dillon. Enjoy. Duh. This week we kick off what is a very interesting 2021 for the Golden Hog with the horror western Prisoners of the Ghostland. Here Cage plays a criminal called Hero who must venture into the titular Ghostland to rescue the governor's adopted granddaughter. Joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if this film is a prisoner that should walk free or just stay locked up is writer, editor of Cultured Vultures and friend Jimmy Donellan. Jimmy, welcome. How are you doing? 
I'm well, thank you, sir. I'm well, thank you, sir. Uh, uh, to answer your question immediately, uh, it should not be let loose upon anyone unsuspecting this movie. But otherwise, if you know what you're in for, it's a pretty good, um, pretty good charge to have. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's an experience, isn't it? Basically, at no point in this movie was I either bored or aware of what was happening, which is, <laughs> it takes about an hour to explain anything. You're but, mis- uh, mysteriously lucid for an hour and a half. Yeah, just stuff happens and you're just expected to just be happy about it and you just not just go along with it. Just put the seatbelt on, bloody put on your driving goggles, uh, clench your thighs and just try not to crash, basically. I feel like, and obviously we'll get into it, for me this movie is the same sensation of when you're in the passenger seat of a car and you press the brake on your side. <laughs> that, that's, that's like, you've got no control, but you've kind of got to accept what's happening. But uh, it's also Johnny English's car and there's a red button that could do something at any point and it's just a, it's just a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. There's a 50-50 chance you're going to get ejector seated. Yeah. yeah. And then then there's going to be a ghost child above you. (laughs) No, I I haven't looked up for 24 hours since watching this film. Because if I I see a ghost boy hatch, I think I'll kill myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily, he can maybe bring you back from the dead, but that's never established. So it's... you might want to catch the boy. <laughs> we're we're going to try and solve some of these mysteries, um, but what they are. But before we get into this, and there's a lot to get into, make no mistake, um, anytime we have a new guest on the podcast, I always like to ask him at the start, uh, for you, Jimmy, Nicholas Cage, rate, hate, tolerate, where do you stand upon the man we call the golden hog of Hollywood right here? Well, I've always liked Cage. I've always liked him a lot. Obviously, not as much as someone who, you know, uh, operates a podcast and would possibly rifle through his bins if given the opportunity. But I do quite... And I would. And I would. I would not hesitate. I'd be head first. You'll butter (laughs) me up and throw me in there. Uh, No, I've always liked him. I think that my first ever interaction, not really interaction, experience of Nicolas Cage was about uh, when I was nine years old watching Face Off, which is quite the introduction. Uh, and ever since then, I was very confused by his, like, um, what do you call it, the dark ages of Cage. You've, you've passed them now in the podcast, haven't you? I'm talking, like, when he basically had to get through all of his debts, as many debts. Didn't he used to own a vineyard and stuff like that? And then he's, he had to sell the vineyard and stuff. And he's owned everything at this point. Everything. He's owned, owned and sold everything. everything you can own and sell, except for a human. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't know. Like, you we don't know. know. We, I mean, in, in a way, he owns me. So. He does exactly. He's got his. He's uh, He's got his fingers in many pies, as our Nicholas. M- many uh, wine pies and weird clothing pies. He's a. He's a. He's a pie master. Nicholas Cage, and uh, after that dark period, uh, I was like, I think like pretty much everyone really. Uh, I got back into him around the Mandy times, so you have like errors mm-hmm. of. It's interesting that you can put that into the Mandy era, like when he started getting into like um, collaborating with RLTJE, just the just the catchiest name ever. 
Uh, what are they called? R all R L T J E. Rultcher, uh, Um and then yeah, I've been strapped in for this crazy ride ever since, basically. And it is it is a crazy ride. I mean, it, it's interesting when people join on sort of the cage train, this journey to true cage nirvana, because he's got, I guess it's quarters he can sort of chop it into. It's kind of like romantic in the cage at the start, and then it was kind of more uh, dramatic action-y cage, and then there was the DVD cage, and now it's cage reconnaissance. Now mm. when um, Mandy got most people, and there's a, you know, a lot of people who haven't seen a lot of cage films, but they see Mandy, and I'm, I'm rare to find a lot of people who don't like Mandy or, or don't appreciate its um, spooky purple art um, which it really is, and then yeah, it's yeah. That's something you definitely can say about Mandy. Everyone can agree on it is very purple. It's very <laughs> purple. That's uh, that's a, that's one of its strongest defining characteristics, and it's also very very metal. I think uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of disappointed I didn't get to cover it because it is like maybe one of my favorite uh, like dark horrors. Is it really a horror? It's it's a strange one because it feels like it's from several different dimensions at once because it, partly it feels like a medieval horror movie other times it feels like a like an acid trip and other times it's like a, a romance it's such a weird weird and wide breadth of things and it just it does really show what he's capable of as well and he and he and it is weirdly quite restrained for cage but you cannot say that about him in this movie <laughs> you know going into this movie i i think one of the things that maybe both helped and hindered this movie is that the leading quote for it is from Nicolas Cage saying mm. it's the wildest film that I've ever made. Um, I, I found an interview and he said um, that quote was, I think, taken a little bit out of context because he said it before they started shooting. So I think he just had it on paper at that moment in time. Um, but he said he stands by it. He felt the movie but helped effectively support his endeavour to continue pushing the boundaries of film performance. Um, and we get some... I... Well, it's... it does. It starts off like an immediate cage territory. Like The first thing I'm pretty sure you see on screen or hear is him screaming. <laughs> so the... it's like, it's, he's immediately <laughs> extra. He's puts his, <laughs> he puts his scepter on the ground and then just runs with it from there. The I've very... got so many... I've got so many notes here, and so many of them are specifically about Cage and his quotes. Um, one of the favourites being, which I think will uh, be whatever I say to any assailants in the street, is "I'll karate chop you." <laughs> the thing, the thing, it's so specific. Like, thing, uh, like, do they go to karate school? And they're like, you've got to learn how to karate chop. Is that like so? You need to be taught, or is it not that's just a chop? That's a week seven move, um, the karate chop. You've got to learn the stance and the sort of the forward punch walking thing. The thing about this movie, it's it's very... If you take the sound bites, it's very quotable from a cage perspective, but it almost feels like um, it's an idea of a sort of crazy cage's greatest hits and thrown a lot of shit at the wall to see what sticks. And I don't yeah. know that all of it works... But to Ow. your point, though, the very first—I know it—the very first thing that Cage says in this is, and I quote, "Banzai." 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's such a strange movie because it feels like uh, an English person's version of Japanese culture from the nineteen eighty from the nineteen nineties. Like you know, that very stereotypical, like very anime, like very over the top and overblown. But it's not, is it? It's actually Japanese. It feels like a pastiche of like Japanese and American culture, and it doesn't really explain why that is for like 50 minutes and even then you're just like oh okay it doesn't it takes the crazy thing about it is that it just doesn't want to make it your life easy watching it at all it wants to make you question everything and it just it's so odd it's like i've got so many notes here like um that are just which dimension did, did this happen in? Like, purgatory why does it all look like a peugeot commercial there's so many questions it does <laughs> scream peugeot commercial doesn't it really it? is odd it's like someone storyboarded it and then went to um their nearest manga comic and just got a bunch of panels and decided to photoshop nicholas cage into them it's it's fascinating to watch. It's just, it's more of a visual thing than anything to do with. I don't, I, did it have themes? Did it have, well, did it have, want to say something? Like, what was it trying to say? This is the thing, right? Because when I watched the film and I sort of met my. I was a little bit skewed because I'm trying to take notes at the same time because I, I hate it when you have to keep pausing the film. Like, and this yeah, happened. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I'm trying to watch it and take notes. So there probably may well be things like little bits of dialogue that I've missed and stuff. So I will admit at the top, before we get really into it, that I do think I probably need to watch this again. On a mm. first viewing, to give a broad overview before we get into the nitty gritty, I wouldn't say I didn't... I wanted to like it more... There were bits of it I did enjoy. I thought it was very visually interesting and quite distinct, and the, the sets looked really good. Um, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like you said, I came away at the end and I was like, "What the fuck is this about? Well, why is <laughs> why is that any of this happened?" And I why do I my... feel this way about it as well? What is it trying to do to me? I like it's just plain odd, isn't it? But I like I've said you before that we start recording i really do think like this will go down as like a a cult classic of like so bad it's good like in the same way as like troll 2 and like the room because it's just I, like, at no point was i bored and i was just i was just like it was like a, a like a really vibrant car crash in slow motion and there is <laughs> and there are actual car crashes in this movie and why does he get on a bike <laughs> like is it just just because it's just because he can well I'm, i made a note is, is that of... anti-establishment that he's like fuck your bike fuck <laughs> your car. i'll take the bike well i don't know if this is him just saying like flipping off the governor and saying oh, i'm gonna do this my way but i did make a note of this in like cage movies and i'm not suggesting these are in sort of the same universe because they're very definitely not um but this is like the third time i can remember that he steals a bike Actually, it might be the fourth. I'm sure he does it in the rock. He steals like a bike, not like a pedal bike. No, he bike. does it in Wicker Man. That he... scene is burned into my memory. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, "Where's the bear?" <laughs> I, I maintain that you cannot stylishly make a statement and ride away in a bicycle. It's not possible. And Cage has proven this time and time again. He, I'm sure he does it in Pig as well. He screams at someone and steals a bike. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the one, the one sort of scintilla of jarring moment in Pig. As much as I love that movie, so he needs to have various different getaway vehicles post screaming. So he's like, he should have like a bike, 
and then the next movie should have like a water pedalo, and then the one <laughs> he should have like a catamaran or something. You have all of them, tricycle. Just like, where's he going? Where's where's Cage? More like moon boots. He should have escaped in moon boots. <laughs> I want to see him just like bounce. <laughs> I want to see every kind of way that he can get away. But it's you know, there's a, this is a film with a lot of choices, and I feel like. Um, I think I read there might have been some issue of like funding behind the scenes, and I know they had to move production because the director had a heart attack in pre-production, and they moved it from Mexico to Japan. Um, yeah, and lots of people dropped out. I read, didn't they? Uh, like, I think um, who was it? Oh, he's got a real. He's just an evil-faced man. Uh, you look. Yeah, I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly. Ed Ed Screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Looks very just not right, does he? Just makes you feel uneasy <laughs> looking at him. But he's also weirdly handsome. It's one of them confusing ways. It's one of them confusing mixtures of terrifyingly um, beautiful. Like from the um, Ralph Sewell, uh, Rufus Sewell College of Weird Villains. Basically, you remember Rufus Sewell in um, that name rings a bell. He's probably been in a movie of Cage, probably some cop movie in Philadelphia or something, trying to find a golden egg. I don't know. Uh, at some point. <laughs> You've, uh, you've fallen into the random cage generator right there. <laughs> How has there not been an AI that just gives Nicolas Cage a script? <laughs> I think it, it's sometimes... That's here. I've sort of joked about it before on the podcast, like it's almost a family guy plot generator, like Nicolas Cage in this location with this object and this character, and you could say that. You completely make something up to some, like, and just say, oh, Nicolas Cage is in this film that I definitely didn't make up. And they'll be like, yeah, that checks. <laughs> How many dinosaur movies has he been in? I'm pretty sure. Uh, has he been in dinosaur movies yet? Uh, has that been something he's crossed? I mean, he's probably looked at some bones in National Treasure, but I don't think this yeah. would be an explicit dinosaur movie. Um, okay. And shame on Hollywood for not making it happen. You right, could have saved just, the last Jurassic Park. Let me just write that note in my script and make sure you pitch dinosaur movies. And it's <laughs> right, okay. Um... But yeah, it's just, uh, one of the strangest things I think is uh, well, it happens immediately does put its mark down, doesn't it? The movie it does, and that starts right away, right before the movie even starts. With how many different companies worked on this? I was sat there for what felt like a Lord of the Rings movie. All these very <laughs> nondescript, probably tax shell corporation companies go past on the screen. It was like six or seven of them, and that's yeah. like the. It's like the old uh, saying, isn't it? The more of those they are, the worse they are. The worse the movie is. I've Do kind of it... found that I, I have. I think I lean towards agreement with that because any time there's more than seventeen production companies at the start of the film, <laughs> this like, one at least twenty five. Like, I don't know. The one I've heard of is obviously like RLJ, as we were saying, and the one you might have yeah. clocked in there as well. And I've brought this up time and time again on the podcast. Saturn films. Now, Saturn films. Didn't this, they do Color Out of Space? Now, this is, from what I've seen, Nicolas Cage's a... production company. Uh... However, because you'll notice he has like producer credits on certain things. However, if you Google Saturn films, there is no fucking information on them whatsoever. Like, there is no way that this is not a money laundering company. And if it no. is, fair play, Cage. I fully support it. Um, you, <laughs> you go to the HQ and you just open up. And it's a sing and it's a massive warehouse with a single monkey at a typewriter. Like, 
There's a monkey with the face of Nicolas Cage, a horrifying <laughs> just experiment. Wearing masks, just like various just memorabilia from all of the Nicolas Cage movies behind him, like bear suits, like John Travolta's face, just everything. Gorillaus <laughs> like. Cage, I think they call him. <laughs> um, so... Despite all my rage, I am still just a monkey cage. <laughs> eep, eep, oop. Um, so I feel like one at one point I'm gonna have to do some investigative journalistic episode on Saturn films. I'd be in as someone who does a does a little of the journalism with as well occasionally when he's not writing about fucking Fortnite. I'll also uh, <laughs> get in on that. I'd also like to uh, track down this definitely not fake company. I know this. The thing is, you know, for for what little I can feel left of like my organs, because I'm crumbling away at this day and age, I can feel, and it's a gut instinct. I know there's a story there. I can feel mm-hmm. it. There's but, something there, isn't there? There is definitely something there. Like, it's got to be something. It's got to be something. It doesn't make any sense. I know. I'd, I'd sort of look at it up now, but for fear of all you'll hear on the microphone is me going clickety clack type, <laughs> because I. <laughs> I don't know how I, to make that quiet. I was gonna like um rem- like why why I just tailed off and didn't say anything there. <laughs> it's because I was gonna I just basically just wasted words a nine minute ago. I was basically gonna recount the time when I did a journalism and uh on a video game and me and another someone cultured vultures, uh we basically dug into this definitely real game developer who is making games and definitely not just abandoning them and definitely not uh just taking people's money and running and i definitely didn't try to try to ask him about it and he definitely didn't threaten to sue me so that's why i was kind of like just didn't go into that too much but i'd be careful nicholas cage a angry nicholas cage is a nicholas cage you don't want to mess with I mean, I just want to get to the bottom of it. Basically, I mean, if it means you meet him, if it means you meet him, is it is it like do you need all of your limbs? Do you need all of <laughs> no. every I ear? I work got... from home. I don't need my legs. You don't need two kidneys, do you? Old two lungs. <laughs> Old Daryl two lungs. They call me down the allotments. But the wait, monkey no. in the warehouse needs them. <laughs> I think the monkey in the warehouse needs to be put down. But make, <laughs> no mistake. My intention is to clear his good name. Let's get this on the record. Let's get the facts okay. out there right I'll, now. I'll, I, I am defiling his name, yeah. You can be his white knight. You can be his um, bloody uh, lawyers in the, uh, the Johnny Depp case. I'll be his lawyers, his confidant, uh, confidant. lover. It's lover. concubine. Concubine. <laughs> All the good conks. His, his little conker boy <laughs> um, is what I will be for him. Um, I will be anything for him. <laughs> I I will be his his guiding hand. Um, is it but... right to is it right to now you can deny this or or you can take offence to this? I hope you don't. But is it right in saying that you had somewhat of a mental breakdown during the pandemic and decided that you were going to make a Nicholas Cage podcast? <laughs> Or this, is that <laughs> this is the reveal episode? <laughs> None of this is real, Daryl. No, this is real. This is an in- this is the end of Shutter Island, mate. None of this has happened. There's been, been no podcast. I've been in a padded room for uh, three, <laughs> three years. It's been uh, three years. Wow. Um, wow. For pandemic number one, um, 
I got let go from job since rehired, but in that two-month gap, which I maintain was some of the most joyful two months of my life, um, I just needed something to do. And then it stuck with me that this podcast would be a, probably an idea for something. And then here we are, uh, 90 plus episodes in, whatever episode number this is now. 100. 100. Me and you both know it's episode 100, okay? This is spiritually. We've talked about this. This is spiritually episode this. 100. Yeah, in the same way, like, um, uh, like, oh, I can't think of any examples, but it is, it is episode. <laughs> I was trying to think of like something that's a spiritual successor, and my brain was just like, there are none. It's just like that time when, insert reference here in the edit. (laughs) Um, So even if you're looking at this episode, like on your phone or laptop computer screen, and it says episode 90-something, it's actually episode. It's actually episode 100. And I thought that was beautiful symmetry there. Uh, uh, My favourite son, one of my favourite sons from Cultured Vultures, would join back with his father, the 100th episode. You never uh, truly leave the nest. You never do. You might have your, your little vulture wings and flap away, but you'll never you can never get too far from me. That's a threat. <laughs> they all come back to daddy. They all come back to daddy's egg nest. Right, <laughs> gets all his eggs. <laughs> Sat down with eggs in pants, just like Nicolas Cage in the jail at the start of this movie. <laughs> oh, also, I did want to say. You can cut this out if you want. And I have said it to you before. <laughs> I have said it to you before. But I am very proud of you for doing this and sticking with it all this way. I would have gotten about a few episodes in and realised the task at hand. And fuck <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, would have, I would have just gone, no, there's too many. The man's doing too many movies. You can't stop him. This will be <laughs> the rest of my life. He's going to outlive me. This, this will never end. But I'm so proud of you for sticking with it all the way. <laughs> and it's and you've done so well as well. The episodes are getting so much better and better as it's going. Um, so yeah, just a I've... hashtag ad, <laughs> hashtag ad for the podcast I'm on. Hashtag proud dad. Ad. Hashtag proud dad ad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've I've relearned to talk to people from hibernation doing this, and at this point, I'm so close to the end, I cannot give up. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be <laughs> absurd. My larynx is but a raisin. This is the most I've talked to anyone in about uh, two years. I think I've uh, I've I've not got mates. I've not got many mates. <laughs> like most people I talk to are like at charity shops, but I never really sit down and have a good talk with people anymore. So you just I mean, you find just an get excuses really... to bring your pants into the charity shops for a conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just uh, like a half-eaten box of chocolates. I'm like, what do you want? It looks very nice. Don't worry about the don't worry about the half eaten ones. <laughs> I just made it look like I had someone to eat them with. I'll give you a fiver to look me in the eye. I need it. But yeah, the only person I've really properly connected with over the last two years has been my partner, Rachel, my love, who you'll be very, very displeased to know I told her who was in this movie and she went, Who's Nicolas Cage? Now, I do have to say, she doesn't know. Right, calm down, breaths. All right, want to do some exercises? Okay. I do I have would... to say, she doesn't know who anyone is. She's like, you can right. show her a picture of Brad Pitt, and he's like, he's like, was he in Westlife? She has no idea. But she, about halfway through this movie, she completely had to tag out. <laughs> she, was, 
this is there are too many sensations going on at once here. I am at critical mass mentally, and she just went on the phone <laughs> on TikTok instead. This film, I mean, to be fair, and as we were sort of touching on earlier, right at the gates, this film is quite a sensory overload. Absolutely, yeah. There's, there's colours, there's uh, candies in ball form, um, everyone's dressed in the colours of the rainbow, Nicolas Cage is shouting Banzai. Um, <laughs> if you're not prepared for this, then, and I say it with respect, you're going to have a stroke in the first minute of this movie. Oh, I'm pretty sure I did. That's why I'm struggling to think of things to say at some point here. Do you know, I, I, does that episode... I'm, I've, got, I've had a hangover ever since I watched this. <laughs> <laughs> you know the episode of The Simpsons where they see like that seizure toad. Yeah, it's like that would be the reaction if you you're just on the floor going. Wah, 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 wah. I think you're crossing streams there. I think you're getting the uh, the power rate. The episode of The Simpsons when they go to Japan is when they have the seizure on the floor. Oh, it's the robots, isn't then, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Futurama is the the toad. I'm gonna get cancelled for not getting my seizure jokes and references correct. <laughs> That's. That's if you're going to joke now. about seizures really intensively, at least do it correctly. I should you have seizured the opportunity to research or, that better. Or, no, Recovered. Seizure of the day. Seizure of the day. <laughs> and you know, speaking, you know, speaking of things that uh, elicit a reaction, when Cage is being, you know, they said it quite quickly that he's done a bank robbery, he's been in a little jail cell for a while, he's been paraded out in front of the town. Sorry, a, sorry. Sorry to cut in. Sorry to cut in there. Sorry, sorry. They don't actually establish at any point how long he's been in there, though, until a random revelation, though, do they? At no point do they say he's been in an era minute. There's been like several (laughs) World Cups and that, and like they've had like four Game of Thrones shows since he's been in here. They don't establish any of that, do they? So it's like you think like, oh, he's just had a nice overnight kip. This is, and he's not eight a day either. (laughs) This is the weird thing about this film because. I, I think I was saying earlier I had to like look up the ending of this film and it, get, get it just have it fucking explain to me what happened. <laughs> and I think from what I read, I read like an explanation of it, and I was like, okay, right, some of this makes a bit more sense now. Where I've had it like I've read into it. I think one of the main themes is meant to be about time, about time moving on and people stuck in a certain element. Is it a commentary on American politics or something? I don't fucking know. Um, <laughs> But what you said Just there, let the man shout at things, that's what I want. <laughs> Just let him scream, karate chopping Just let him people. scream. But then he's like, um, it's implied that he's gone straight into this cell. But then you get the revelation later on in a flashback that he might actually have been in that cell for about 20 years, but hasn't aged yeah. a fucking day. Hasn't they? The Just for Men is incredibly it's... strong in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> so I don't... Hell. What in the fallout kind of abomination has he been putting in his hair? To look that good. Let me tell you, if um, radioactive Gillette is the best a radioactive man can get. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> just like, could you imagine it? Like a ghoul from Fallout, just like, Aah! like showing off, like uh, in an advert for this stuff, like putting it in the hair and the hair just falling out while they're putting well, it in. <laughs> this is what this this film made me think of. It made me think of Fallout. It made me think of like Mad Max, Escape from New York. Um, and those... For me. Kind of this thing. was Mad Max Fury Road, yeah, put together by an improv theatre group made up entirely of people on Angel Dust. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like, if I had to write a review of it, that would be my main thing. So it's very much, it's, do, it's doing the feminism angle of Fury Road, 
uh, yeah. which got very, very angry seven years ago because because women showed their knees and they had feelings. Oh my god, and they had agency. Oh no, <laughs> we don't oh, we don't like it when oh, women. Have... How dare they not bow to Max, a big strong man, straight away? I watched that movie about two weeks ago. And I was like, wow, oh my god, these women have opinions and that upset people seven years ago, and they have desires <laughs> and they can use guns. I. I saw Mad Max Fury Road in the cinema with a friend who was so, so hungover and he couldn't take just how loud and bright it was and he oh. nearly vomited about three times. <laughs> and the part the part where he nearly left the cinema was about an hour into the movie, I leant over to him when um, old uh, Tommy Boy, Tom Hardy was on screen and I said, oh, so he's the Mad Max in Mad Max and he nearly <laughs> left. <laughs> He told me loudly. Was he pretty mad? Was he pretty mad about it? Was he? Mad and or Max, I think. Uh, and then my friend told me to quite loudly fuck off and he nearly vomited. <laughs> not a lovely day. Oh, not a lovely day for him then. That is such a good movie. That, yeah, I'm glad movies are taking cues from that movie, but this movie is also taking cues from like Lost, it feels like, at certain points. And like uh, all trauma movies. It's very schlocky as well, isn't it? This. Um, there's such it really is like a visual mishmash of stuff because I've I've sort of seen people's reviews and they say oh there's a bit of like a Kira Kurosawa in there elements of like John Carpenter, um and I can see like a lot of things in there a lot of like elements and I would admit like I'm not too familiar with the director's previous work so I'm kind of going into this as this is the first work of the directors for me probably lost I'm probably <coughs> lost if you know what I'm saying oi, oi. Um, okay. Um, you know, make no mistake, the man is a monster. But it comes back to what I was saying, and it felt for me like just a lot of things thrown at the wall, and maybe some stuff is chopped and changed. But the only sort of, cons- I guess, almost for me, for me, the comforting consistent is that at some point, Nicholas Cage is going to scream and or explode. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, like, you get. There's great comfort in knowing that. It's nice knowing some things in life, some things are certain. Death, taxes, one of Nicolas Cage's weird arm balls blowing up, you know, him going crazy at roof children. He's, you, you need to have this consistency in life. He's, he's screaming at ghosts. He's screaming high fucking yard at the rat clan. Um, <laughs> his testicle is exploding and he goes, <laughs> One of my favourite things I think I've ever heard, and I had to pause it, is that when he gets on the stairs at one point, and he and you know, oh, it's a it's a cage coming, it's a cage moment coming, and he goes, and I quote, he goes, "I have got one arm and one testicle." <laughs> he like right within himself, he screams testicle out. I'm like, oh wow, it's, I'm in, I'm here. If nothing else, that is going to be the most, well, the most. Uh, obvious part of the movie that's going to stick in your brain so viscerally. It's like, here I am with one arm and one testicle <laughs> Try to reason with you, bitches! Uh, I was like, fucking yes. Got one. He's not got one ball though, has he? He's got so many on himself. I want to talk, I think we've not even established what this movie is yet. We're just, this, this, how long have we been recording for? We've basically just been confused, dazed and confused about what it even is. I think we've been talking for about half an hour and what is the (laughs) plot? 
I mean, I'd, what I'd, movie? What movie? To, you know, outside of my sort of, I, know, I do like an initial like sort of one line intro to give an idea of the films at the top of episodes. But I suppose to throw the and pun intended ball into your court, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> what would you describe is the you know what is the plot of this movie? Right. So I'm going to do my best to try and ball it down. Okay. So it's um it's bullshit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the plot is basically. Uh, I can't boil it down because you keep every time I try to boil it down in my head to start talking. Now I remember another nonsense that happens. Uh, I've got a note here, and it's I've got loads of notes here. Loads of them I've split it into. They're mostly cons, mostly cons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of, one of the pros that I've made sure to make a note of um, is a pro topless cage wearing a thong and kicking a ball at women. Then his thong. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's, but the reason why he's doing that, you see, Daryl, is because he's got to go and save the mummy. The mummy, who is uh, the product, the adopted product of uh, an actor who's usually quite good. But in this movie, it's like he's doing an impression of a cowboy from the 1950s. I don't know. And then... Uh, it, he, he he's it's the the <laughs> I'm having a nuclear fallout of my own time explaining this. He's he's the boss man, right? He's the boss, and he's in Japan because right. The thing is, you see, <laughs> from America. <laughs> yeah, for the listener, Jimmy's nose is bleeding. I literally started snotting then, just from pure concentration. Uh, you try and do it. I'm struggling because basically Mad Max Fury Road meets several tabs of mescaline. <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh, the, the the movie is this is a a indefinable period in time in a town that is old and new Japan that meets the Wild West that is run by a man known as the Governor who has what is heavily implied to be sex slaves who he all calls his daughters, daughters yeah. and he's very particularly looking for one called Badis who's gone missing and sends Cage aka Hero out to the ghost land to find her to bring her back because if he doesn't the leather suit he wears which is strapped with bombs two in his neck two, tester one, bombs. two tester bombs one on each yeah. arm will explode well, testy um, C4 testy C4 Testy, test C four, test C four, yeah, yeah, one of them. And yes. along the way, he encounters what feels like Twitch streamer crows. You know those weird mechanics that he meets. That I was immediately like thinking they're going to start asking for donos. That was weird. <laughs> and then, uh, people he, who are prisoners but aren't. He encounters uh, VTubers in the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, meets Blackadder. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, and uh, they're prisoners but they're not prisoners and they're very depressed uh, because they're being oppressed by a ghost rider but not that one <laughs> would have, I, ele- I, would have elevated this we... film if ghost rider was in it yeah yeah that, I love that by the way this guy whose name is basically his descriptor psycho uh, turns up and he drives around in a bus with his mates uh, it's a post-apocalyptic as well, isn't it? See, the more I try, the more I try to synopsize this film, Daryl, 
the more it just becomes like JJ Abrams had a really bad <laughs> fucking night out on the town. <laughs> it's really uh, weird. It may or may not be post nuclear, but there's definitely a nuclear element to this film because he he sees a giant picture of like a nuclear explosion and there's nuclear burnt mutants and there's like an amateur theater group who basically explain this nuclear thing like a bus of prisoners crashed into a nuclear waste carrying van and there was a big explosion which Nicolas Cage was responsible for because of the robbery at the start of the film because he ran away and left Psycho to die which led to young Benice getting shot and taken in by the governor so he's sort of kind of responsible for everything and he thinks the ghosts are angry at him, but he's the only person who can free the ghosts. Fuck. What? Didn't, wasn't this on Yu-Gi-Oh? I'm pretty sure it was a Yu-Gi-Oh episode. <laughs> at some point. We know what. It is... I, if, if I read um, the ending explained thing that I found and see if this kind of makes it... So the ghost land is the radioactive remains from a horrific event inhabited by the restless spirits of those who died from the cataclysmic nuclear event. So was, it, was it worldwide or is it just this just this little part of the world? Well, so I, like... there's only two locations in this film. There's Samurai Town, Ghostland, actually no, and three. There's the road between the two. Yeah. It feels like whenever Nicolas Cage goes to one place, it's like he's meant to have spent a lot of time there. But it doesn't really feel like he spent a lot of time anywhere. And I don't know if that's intentional because of the theme of, apparently the theme of time. Um, Because there's the whole thing of like the Ghostland ghosts trying to hold the the clock from going back. Like, we have to stop time. (laughs) I want to talk about that society for a minute. How does that function? So you've got, as you say, you've got the theatre group there. These are just like waiting for the next man with balls on his arms to come along and scream at them. Apparently, because they don't do anything. And then you got men just pulling time. Who do, who gets the food and that? Who looks after the kids? Just kids just wandering around like oh. All the, all they know of adults is that they do theatre group and they actually and they also do improv. It's like they're all living in bloody uh, Portland. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's the man in a top hat who's basically the Panic at the Disco man in the Close the Door song. I don't know it because I didn't listen to him because I wasn't sad at school. I got sad later. Um, oh, yeah. He just delayed depression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> d- d- delayed depression. Mm. Um, and he dresses people like mannequins. And they're they... fine with that. And they they like that for some reason. He says that like... these are all the people who've suffered trauma. So they basically coat them in mannequin parts to cover them in darkness so they can sort of face it internally. But, but, but Bernice, Sophia Butella, who, by the way, is absolutely wasted, her and talents are wasted until like the last 10 minutes because she's an incredible action star. She's been one of the best female action stars of like the last 15 years, and she just spends most of the movie moping around. Uh, she's she, At the start of the movie, she goes, I am not a prisoner! And then it cuts to the title card, Prisoners of the Ghost Land. (laughs) (laughs) And then she decides to be a prisoner. It's like like bloody the start of Sky, like Oblivion. Everyone's in bloody jail. What's going on? (laughs) I wasn't sure if the very start where she screams, I'm not a prisoner, was actually meant to be at the end of the film before they rally the troops 
they rally the yeah. ghosts. So a, a few things sort of jump around. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, Cage yeah. spends about 50% of the time unconscious and in Purgatory Ghostland, where he learns <laughs> about the bomb. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 I, 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 <laughs> it's like five minutes away from Samurai, Samurai Town and immediately eats shit. <laughs> he gets in the I, car and drives for five minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then the next thing, he's like doing the Peter Griffin pose on the floor. Just like, oh. <laughs> he might as well have been on floor going, ah. <sighs> this, this was sort of my, sort of, um, um, my, Chron- chronology of notes here so it's you know the governor lifts his crimes he puts him in the suit um and he's like it's going to explode you've got to find bernice um and then he, he takes the bike which impresses uh yasajiro played by tak sakaguchi who gives him the car again so the whole okay. bike thing was like what why did he take the bike he's just been given the car again <laughs> then they're like the winking each other like yeah i like the cut of this guy's jib immediately crashes I'll the car you to the death later pal <laughs> Immediately crashes the car because he sees visions of fucking fallout ghouls. Um, <laughs> fallout boys. People like skulking around in masks. He sees a nuclear blast pit. And my note here was like, honestly, I imagine this is what going to Coachella is like. <laughs> like Burning Man, the final day of Burning Man. <laughs> this is this is the final day of Burning Man. We're all delirious from the heat. <laughs> just just everyone's just got heat exhaustion. What what do you call it? Heat heat waves. That's just that's just. Weather in it, heat wave. It's like a heat, 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 heat brain, sunstroke. heat brain. I'm calling it heat brain. <laughs> it's like man's got heat brain in it. <laughs> it's um, got heat brain. It's got soup brain. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I, I, I do want to touch on how f- intentionally funny this movie is, though. At points, like uh, when he starts off and he's putting the suit on, I was just cracking up. Like when he uh, is t- trying to scare them, and he's like doing like. Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he goes full cage mode. He puts the cage mask on and just becomes the meme at that point. I think he just assumes the character. It's it's like they said in the direction to him, like right when you put the suit on, this is when Nicholas Cage becomes Nicholas Cage. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's like it's what I said earlier. It's like they're trying to present an idea of Nicholas Cage in this movie. Like I think they wanted, like him and the director probably wanted parts of each other. Uh, to try and bounce off each other, but I I think we get more of the director trying to get a version of Nicolas Cage film in a film that isn't a Nicolas Cage film, but trying to be mm-hmm. the idea of a mad Nicolas Cage film, but isn't quite because it just gets too muddled. If the last twenty minutes of us rambling trying to make sense of this did not sell that to you, <laughs> um, and oh, then by the way, that twenty minutes is still not enough time to cover everything that happens. I don't think I think. Honestly, if I didn't have a life to go to, I could probably talk about this for the rest of the afternoon. By a life to go to, I mean a cat to beg to love me and to play an anime game. <laughs> <laughs> Another day of sitting indoors with the windows closed. Um, <laughs> Keep the light away! <laughs> and then Mike, he goes to the ghost land, he's wheeled in on the cart, he's got like the rat clan and all the villagers touching him and... They make this point of saying, like, oh, he's bleeding, this blood is thick, and I think that's meant to be the first thing that, like, he's part of a prophecy or something, and yeah. he's the one that's going to save them because they're all ghosts and they could all pass on or something by killing oh. the governor. Yeah. Oh, wait, they are, they are ghosts. Are they ghosts? I think everyone in the ghost land is ghosts except Bernice. 
Because when they get to the big fight thing at the end, there's that massive <laughs> montage of them like readying all the Mad Max trucks, and he's got the the exploded like sword hand, and he's got the weird helmet on in that kind of your created character in a CG cutscene kind of way. Yeah. But then it's only him and Benice that sort of turn up. I was like, where where's everyone? But they're still back at the ghost land. Yeah, um, with doing that one ghost guy stuff. Leaving their ectoplasm everywhere. And... The, the boy screaming hero. There's the old man who's just going, don't go. No, don't go. Don't, don't be cheeky now. Go, go really though, do go. <laughs> but actually, wink, wink, do go. Yeah, um, I like. I love as well how it's, none of this is explained. But it's like at one point after, um, I think it's briefly after he immediately shits the bed on his uh, very important journey. He and Benice are there. And his bollock explodes. Uh, but before that, he's like, I, he must have been given this very specific direction from this director to make it seem like a porn movie. He's like, take it off, take it off, take it off, take it off, take it off. Oh, yeah. That was very discomforting. And then his bollock explodes, which makes me feel like it's a sort of a commentary on, on like, porn maybe or something like that. So then his ball, ball explodes immediately after. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if it is. It's meant to be some kind of commentary on. I mean, ironic from this director, but like a sexual abuse and abuse against women. Because I sort of got the same vibe. He's taking all the mannequin parts off, and I was like, "This is a little bit discomforting." Because he's very much like, "We're fucking leaving. I don't care that he can't talk." But then he's got sort of the walkie-talkie thing in his suit where he can't stand the five days, and he's got to get Bernice to talk into it so they can. He gets two more days on top of that. I don't understand the very specific technology in this movie either. Like, how can it tell a defenseless woman? Like, what if that defenseless woman gets a gun? Is he then fine? Is he like, oh, he's fine. Yeah, it's clear. We, I won't explode. It's yeah. very specific stuff as well. So if he like, tries if got... to, if he tries to take the suit off, if he's aggressive towards Bernice, um, then it would automatically explode. Or if he. Yeah, if it's, if he mistreats Bernice, if he tampers with the suit, or if he doesn't save her within five days, then all the bombs will go off. But then right. there's also when his suit gets tampered with, because he's got all the mutants on him, and then his arm explodes and he passes out for the second time. I thought he, di- I thought he was died, and then he was pretty much literally given a one up like in Mario by the ghost children. He was given like a little spiritual mushroom. <laughs> 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 He should have worn a Tanuki suit after that. So, I mean, have to throw fireballs out of his hands, honestly. <laughs> well, there's this line as well, because he's taking the little mannequin pieces off of Bernice, and then he sees the sky and he says, that's quite a scar you've got there. Where'd you get it? Roller skating? Woo! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and then he, he woos. What did the doctor, did the director go, I need the woo. <laughs> I need the woo. I know you've done the take 16 times, but you're going to woo and you're going to like it. Um, (laughs) Ric Flair visited the set that day. That would have been one fucking very, very um, (laughs) problematic set with him and the director. Oh, Christ. And then his testicle explodes. He wails like a sick dog in heat and passes out. And then we get a flashback of the bank robbery. Um, but 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 Benice just is just like, well, he's dead then. (laughs) Doesn't even check on him. the doesn't mutants even wait just, or mutants or just try. disappear. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. even try to make sure he's all right, or like give him some water. Well, say like... she, I think so. Like she's basically catatonic from 
something because she escaped the right at the start of the film. There's like you see her and like three other two of the, or three of the people escape, and then she like wakes up. She's like, "I'm not a prisoner." What's she and given? Then by she's that? in the mannequin. What is she given by that woman who very gratuitously slips a titty and then passes or something? <laughs> for no reason at all she has to slip that titty then and give her something is it established or is it just like well there's the titty it's, you <laughs> there's, know, it's, there's, there's the context is, for the titty this is what we do in the ghost line we slip tit <laughs> we um, slip the tit <laughs> we slip tit nuclear um, tit is best tit and then it's <laughs> and there's the flashback with uh, Nick Casavetes hopefully I'm pronouncing correctly they're reunited for the first time n- since I think it's Casavetes Cassavetes, like cassettes, isn't it? Cassavetes, Cassavetes. I mean, I've I got something gratuitously wrong before when I did the adaptation episode because I was convinced, literally for years, that Spike Jones' surname was Yons. I was convinced his surname was Yons. That's <laughs> a Beastie Boys' favourite Dutch collaborator, <laughs> Spike Yons. You with the Beastie Boys? Because <laughs> and I, I say for why is obviously he well, used to sort of work. The- that's with, not um, the first mistake you made with voiceover, is it? Remember Jackson Daxter? I, I, I stand by what I said. <laughs> it's not the Mortal Kombat Jax. He's he's got the he's got the bloody um troll hair. It's Look, Jack. I I asked my partner about this, and she agreed with me that she thought it was Jax, right? But there's a K. There's a K. It's kind of like me, I guess. For years, years and years, about twenty years of my life, far too many years, than I want to admit going into town and go to the local shoe stop, shoe shop called Clanks. <laughs> Not Clarks, <laughs> Clanks because of the sign. Ratchet and Clanks. <laughs> but I, but um, I thought his name was Jans. Basically, I'd seen it spelled on an episode of Jackass, but no one had ever, like, on the episode said the name. So I just kind of spelled it out in my young sort of preteen mind. It's like J-O-N-Z-E. Who's got Zs in their name? Who's got a Z in their name? And I was like... Yons, and I'm just convinced <laughs> I know myself a lot for about twenty. <laughs> I convinced myself for over twenty plus years that his surname was Yons, um, and in some ways prefer it. Uh, it is cooler. It is cooler. It is. I'll give you that. I'll call a... him next. Time, I'll call him Yons from now on, if you like. Just oh, to, like the more of us there are, the Sol- less wrong you get. Okay? So- surname solidarity is what it is. Um, well, as someone whose surname is constantly wrong. By by literally everyone, I I've got solidarity there. <laughs> How do you think you say my name? Did I pronounce it wrong at the top? Because I'm I'm starting to feel like I did now. I said Danella. Uh, everyone, everyone switches to and from. Uh, it's basically I'm we're Danellan, yeah, um, but we're a very very um, arrogant branch of the Danellan tree. <laughs> so I think every other Danellan goes by Donnellan, but our uh, our Irish branch of the tree was like, fuck that, call us Donnellan. <laughs> <laughs> There's a disparity in the Don Den uh, pronunciation there. Yeah, I don't know why it is. Just we decided to be different. I don't know why. At one point, we're like, we're just going to. We At one point, we decided to be very annoying to literally everyone who had to read our surname <laughs> <laughs> for no reason. I'm sure, you know. there's a real reason, like there's an actual meaning behind it. Like I don't know, we're like the master of potato fields or something like that. There's a a generational dispute. Yeah, but yeah, eighties. Yeah, but, yeah. It's, what are we talking about? Spike Johns? Spike Johns? 
Well, we're getting surnames Nick wrong. Casavets. Nick Casavets. Cas- I'll go Casavets to sound right. I was like, Casavetus? Casavetus? It sounds like a disease of the teeth. <laughs> You've got rancid Casavetus. Exactly. Um, but he's he's in the flashback because you're he, he led to believe that Nicolas Cage had shot up the bank and shot the boy, the uh, the boy in the red uh, turtleneck. Um, but it was it was Cassavetes. It was Psycho who just started shooting the boy. Yeah, for he no reason. He got really murder blind, didn't he? He was like, "I've got to kill this kid." He smiled at me, the little shit. He went to GTA. <laughs> He went, he went very GTA. It went, felt like something out of like a Channel Four sitcom, the like uh, old Channel Four sketch show. The way he was so like laser focused on killing this kid, it felt like something from like Peter Serafinowicz would write. He was just like fully laser focused on killing this poor innocent child. <laughs> it was <really laughs> weird. The point I know you've like... got to get over the fact that he's a psycho, but you know. Even even like Michael Myers has a second thought about it, but he was like licking his lips about killing this poor child. The boy was like, oh, would you like a sweet? It's delicious. And he's like, bang. Diabetes! <laughs> it was like, no, here's a bullet. He is my favourite character in this movie, though. He's very direct. He's the only character to me in this that really makes any sense. Because he's got no... He's got no motives, really. All he wants is chaos. All he, he he would eat chaos all day if he could. But then, like at, at the end, when Hero has he meets Psycho again because he's the leader of the mutant lads, they're all the proper chill with each other. Like, oh, buddy, where you been? <laughs> is it, oh, is he it, has, oh, a, he has a go at him for murdering the kid. He's like, ah, come on, man. <laughs> forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> It's made silly. And he's like, oh, psycho, you you bloody psycho. You know that whole thing where you shot that boy and then I got shot by the police then you left me to die? All good. Absolutely all nuclear water under the bridge, mate. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Putting the rad in radioactive, am I right? Was so good. Um... And then he's like, oh, to make up for it, I'll just nuke myself or just piss off. It's like the least uh, the least satisfying ghost disappearance ever. And then he's just like, he's like, well, I don't want to kill you anymore. So I guess I'm fine with not being here and just ghosts. <laughs> it's like, we're all good. We're, we're just like rad ghosts at the moment. And then here's my army of mutants. Sorry that they attacked you earlier and your arm exploded as a direct result. Sorry then, about the ball. Sorry about the ball and the arm. Um, you've still got one each of, of both. And then As we've established, you know, don't need all of them. He's, I mean, he's absolutely fine, isn't he? And then he's yeah. in. He passes out again, again, and he's in the ghost land. And then there's the amateur theatre group all like dancing and synchronised, and they're talking about the story of the burning men. And then I was like, I don't understand what any of this is. I don't understand no. what's going on. I don't understand how this comes into the story. I don't understand what the relevance is. It doesn't help itself by waiting so long to give any relevance to anything that's happening. It's like, like a lot of it, you're meant to just try and pass yourself. The trouble with that is if you don't give the audience literally anything establishing to begin with, then you lose them before you even get to the revelation. But how is anyone, unless they read the synopsis, meant to know that a nuclear apocalypse happened while Nicolas Cage was like taking a 20 year nap or something 
and that he and he's not in purgatory, but these other people are. They're controlling time. Uh, the mummy is there. How is anyone supposed to know any of this? So, but, like, the, but the film looks good, though. It does look just, great. You it just you, you forget there's the people in all like the the, the white sort of like noodle costume things, and they're all like dancing and squidding about. And I was like, oh, this looks cool. It does look cool. It's got great cinematography. And it's also got good fight choreography, I think. Even like even when like Psycho and uh Hero are fighting and it's like Undertaker and Goldberg and it made me let me get me really <laughs> bad PTSD. <laughs> like, oh it's, it's like in slow motion. It's like literally I two mean, kaiju going at it. <laughs> I mean Nick Cage is a big fan of Godzilla, so you'd probably take that compliment. I would love to see. I could totally see A twenty four or some or someone doing like. Do you ever, did you ever watch Colossal? No. Good movie. Very. It's, I won't say it's underrated. It's rated about right. It's got some problems, but it's basically this kaiju movie where this woman uh, one day realizes that she's connected to a kaiju in Japan, and she whatever she does, the kaiju does. So I'd love that, but Nicolas Cage. Just have a giant Nicolas Cage. The ball stuff is optional. You can keep that. <laughs> you can bring that bring that again. Kaiju Put him in a bear nuts. suit. <laughs> Kaiju Nick, Cage. Nick Kaijulus. Nick Kaijulus Cage. <laughs> That's good. This is this you know, this on you know on the on the on the spot thinking that you need to have in this podcasting Nick Cage so game. A twenty four, if you're listening, this the the rights could to this could be yours for one million pounds. If you're listening, and I know you're not, but if you are, <laughs> um, you could totally see it happening though. Like the way his career trajectory is now, like the weirder the better, the more experimental the better. And I'm so glad he's found this niche of doing very particular, specific movies. I don't think anyone else could make, and the fact that he's in them is what helps get them made. And if we didn't have Nicolas Cage, we wouldn't have this movie or no one would watch it or it would be uh, like so little, so financed so poorly that they wouldn't even be able to make it. I can't think of a single actor like him working now where his sheer weirdness and eccentricity and just willingness to like throw himself into stuff and his also his star power gets helps something like this get made. I, I don't think there is anyone. Well, I, th- I think the only people I can think of are kind of, I guess, kind of similar in that, like, they're not resting on their laurels, are sort of, um, uh, maybe not necessarily for one case, but certainly for, I feel like, in a case of, like, an Elijah Wood, um, a Daniel Radcliffe, because they're just yeah, both yeah, just yeah. making weird Heck. stuff now. They're um, making crazy stuff, that's true, yeah. Like, Robert Patterson, I think, is he's shed the skin of the stink of Twilight. It, he's done that so well. <laughs> That I generally become like a Twilight fanboy for him now. I go to bat for him every time someone brings up the fact that he sparkled for several years, like you ten years ago. For you some money, vampire bat for him these days. I, yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm I'm calling all the haters. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I generally get annoyed when anyone's like, "Oh, isn't he sparkling?" Fucking 2009 was a long time ago. MySpace was still around. Let's fucking move on. It's like, listen, MySpace Tom's dead. We've got to move on. He's, yeah, he's dead. We all know this. <laughs> if he's not dead, they've harvested his organs for the monkey warehouse. <laughs> so long ago. Zuckerberg's like, been Zuckerberg's been supping those intestines dry. <laughs> In the metaverse. 
You know that video when Zuckerberg was on about um, we're smoking meats? He was actually smoking MySpace Tom organs. <laughs> I don't think he's allowed to eat those meats, though. I think it would like, corrupt his circuitry. Meatballs, ribs. If he actually, if he actually ate them, he would just like fuse, basically, and he'd explode. <laughs> Eating some uh, MySpace Tom. <laughs> Nicholas Cage had said about, we're talking about the performance of this and how could anyone else have sort of pulled it off. He said one of the reasons for working on this movie was that he could go back to his uh, Western Kabuki fantasies of what can be done with movie performances after his more meditative stylings of Pig. And he's quoted as saying, um, how can I get almost operatic with the word testicle? Um, <laughs> he does go for that kind of you can tell he does give a lot of himself like he tries to get in touch with his uh, more theatrical roots I guess or the theatrical nature of performance by very very subtly picking up a helmet and saying <laughs> well, as the, uh, he recites the Shakespeare for no reason to a helmet and not a skill I was like alas, and, alas poor Yorick I alas poor well. Yorick Alas, poor bloody Barry Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was also trying to channel his inner Charles Bronson for this one as well. well I'm, I'm. A bit con- Do we all have an inner Charles Bronson? Uh, we've all got an inner something, but that's for our therapist to decide. Inside you are two wolves, Charles Bronson and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I mean, and they're just fucking each other. They're fucking and sucking. <laughs> my, my wolves are fucking and sucking. Fucking harvested all the organs they are. <laughs> And then, um, what happens? There's the, there's the kind of like, is it even a C plot with, um, there's two other of the governor's girls. There's Stella, and there is, oh, it's a name that begins with S, and I can't, uh, Susie. Um, is she the one that talks entirely monosyllabically and just says one word over and over again in very screechy tones? The Susie who screams all the time. Screaming Susie. Screaming Susie. And the Stella... <laughs> My favourite Jerry Lee Lewis song. Uh... <laughs> the Stella who escaped with Bernice at the start of the film, who's captured and returned. Uh, and beheaded. And then... Is she the one that's beheaded? Yeah, Yasajira has yeah. to like cut her head off. But this, this on that, that... On that, though, sorry, on that, though, sorry. I'm, I'm con- Is it, like... What... Why are they samurai? <laughs> Why they? Why is, was he like an ultimate weeb before the apocalypse happened? Was he like you know putting videos on YouTube of himself like cutting open bottles, or is he like well, I haven't got Netflix anymore. I may as well learn the way <laughs> of the bloody samurai. How's that? I mean, or or is it maybe uh, the apocalypse was like over many time periods? Is it maybe like talking about? A bit about like Japan's history as well. Is it maybe that kind of parable? Because you've got the samurai and then you've got the nuclear Hiroshima. Is he trying to say something? I don't know what he's saying. This is again, like we touch upon this, but this is the thing where it feels like there are messages, but it's so unclear of what they are. And I'm assuming like Hiroshima is a message because of the the, the visions and you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the nuclear. Blast. There's even that scene where, like, after Hero and Psycho, I forgot about this, they finish talking at the bus, and Psycho's like, go on, go and get this done, and he spreads his arms out like Jesus, and a fucking explosion happens behind him for no reason. I was like, what the fuck is going, yeah. is going on? It's how you've got to say goodbye to all your, your homies, you know, you've got to 
Do a nuke. See him out in style. Is that one bit more like five and cause great, great radioactive wastes? <laughs> Just before Nicholas Cage sees the ghost hatch children in the sky, he goes, "I am radioactive." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's he doing that though? Has he got a Geiger counter? Has he got like the Fallout HUD? And it's going. Because apparently he, again, it's I don't know. Because in the flashback, Have you been listening he's... to a lot of Imagine Dragons? What's going on, Nicholas? There's the whole thing with the flashback where it's, it's again, it's implied that he's responsible for sort of a lot of the events of the movie because he ran away. And then because he ran away, Psycho was on the bus and then the bus crashed into the toxicness and then Psycho became a, a mutant lord. And I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I just... It's like saying, like, uh, one of the uh, random guys with the white hats in Chernobyl was responsible for the thing exploding. Not, it's not great, not terrible. It's, it's like saying that, isn't it, really? Not great, not terrible. It's so muddled, and I don't I want to understand it, and I just don't. I don't think you can, though, Daryl. And I, I hate this sometimes, when a director's vision is so obtuse and that you're made to feel stupid for not getting it but they speak in such a language in the way they make a film and the way they put the film together it's a language that only they understand like it's fucking nell like they they've written it specifically for themselves and you have to like figure out what you various ciphers and stuff i think like that kind of filmmaking a lot of the time is just wanky <laughs> yeah, you feel like something's been chopped and changed behind the scenes you feel like yeah, something's yeah. You feel like something's happened, like this isn't the original script, this isn't the original vision of the movie. Um and I'll I think as we as we get on, I'll sort of read the full chunk of this like ending explain thing that I found and see if it makes more sense then. I need but, to do more of those, those are the easiest money ever. <laughs> End of Lord of the Rings. Ending explained. The ring goes in the volcano. And it'll get millions of views. I don't understand content. Daryl, I don't understand it. Carry on, sorry. <laughs> if, if this episode has established anything, we do not understand the content. We don't understand culture and content. <laughs> and you're meant to be a culture vulture. Hey, well, you know, I, uh, uh, I eat, I eat the bits of vulture of culture. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's in the thing. it's in the title. It speaks through itself. Yeah. Um, but then Cage sort of screams, testicle. Um, Actually, no, backtrack into that. This is after Yasujiro has executed Stella. And the thing with Yasujiro's, like, story, I guess, they, <gasps> they have that thing because it's like, his sister is one of the captured girls, but I think they explain very briefly in, like, two lines of dialogue that he's working for the governor so his sister can stay alive or he's working for her freedom. But then but he's she's just of, a featured extra, isn't she? It's just like, she's, she's just like, like, like in the corner of frame, like, and it's made hey, fairly clear that like he has turned on the governor, but then he also doesn't turn on the governor, even though he fights and kills a lot of samurai. Yeah, and then he fights Hero at the end. In and I will say one of the saving graces of this film, they do some very fun fight sequences. I thought these are I... very good. Yes, yes, yes. For but sure. I, I don't. Them. I'm not. A, I. It, it didn't make sense for them to fight at the end. Like no, is, is he trying of... to get his like? Uh... His honor back, like I've played Ghost of Tsushima. It's all they ever fucking talk about is honor. So Samurai is he, love honor. They do love it. They, they love. 
the three thing a samurai needs is water, air, honor. And he's and he and he's needed it. He's been a bad boy by the end of the movie. So I, but, yeah, I think it might have been an honor thing because he feels bad because he's working for a bad man. So he's trying to restore his honor by dying in battle. But it's also you're a ghost in, but maybe not. And it's the post-apocalypse. Like, how much honor can you lose before you're pretty close to just like eating cockroaches and stuff? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know for, for reasons they're fighting at the end. It's hero how does, versus Yasujiro versus samurai. How does he know how samurai. to drive a car? How does he know how to drive a car? He's a samurai. Because time makes no sense in this movie. No, no. He couldn't is... have gone on YouTube, could he? He could have like how many like driving manuals would have been around in Japan, America at the time? Not a lot. It's you know, honor, learn by honor, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um... that's it. The honor driving school. <laughs> well, the fight, the fight scene at the end, I said, is a lot of fun, and then suddenly uh, Susie just leaps on a fucking Gatling gun and just. <laughs> Absolutely and, rinses and, loads of people. And they're just looking at her, just like, you really think of this? And do nothing about it. Do nothing about it. Uh, and, then, and she's just like, ah, just like proper Rambo mode. That's it. And she, she goes, she goes like full <clears throat> Austin Powers. You, you've seen Austin Powers, surely, yeah? Yes. She goes full Austin Powers. You know, in the, I think it's the first film where he falls out of the window with a woman and like, she's like beaten. She's really like, fucked up and he's like why won't you die and like she ba- she gets shot like twice in the chest and she's like does the whole dying noise and everything she's like leave me oh I'm I'm going to say goodbye to this world and then like five minutes later she's just like I'm I'm cool <laughs> just needed a breather just, just some uh, just needed some cowpole it's fine don't worry about it yeah I, I mean she gets shot as well but I think she's fine later I think they just go about quite a heavy handed way about establishing that she has PTSD which culminates in her on a minigun and shooting <laughs> that was so funny <laughs> like it happened it happened so suddenly because I think you, you're meant to be sympathetic with her because it's implied she's been through a lot then suddenly it's like, oh, I was like, what? And it so jarred me that I burst out laughing. It's just, a, it's just a little leap to get on it though, as well. And everyone turns and looks, and they're like, what? What? Oh, we're not. We're allergic to those bullets. Should we maybe move? And they know what it does anyway. I burst out laughing, and then the fighting all the samurai and the cowboys, and there's the little ghost boy that appears and gives him a thumbs up and runs off. I laughed again. I I I, I love the fact that they're all like. Shit, he, he's thrown an axe. Our guns clearly won't work now, so let's not use them. <laughs> they're all <laughs> circled him with guns, and he's just, and they're like, what well, fuck? These bullets will clearly just break apart on him. He's so badass. Let's not even bother. I mean, like, Yasujiro is like kind of badass. He's kind of like swinging he's the sword cool. around in a circle, he's cool. and he's like parrying everything. Nick Cage, in comparison, is just fucking football tackling and sliding <laughs> yeah. all around. It turns out the one weakness of a samurai a is a running zone. slide. <laughs> doing a fucking war zone <laughs> slide cancel. He looks like he's wearing a Heinz fucking can on his arm, doesn't he? With a... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know Nicolas Cage is pretty strong and stuff, but I don't think like he can with like his fucking uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in my left leg, whatever it's called, arm. 
fucking <laughs> beat him with no <laughs> training whatsoever just because he's is it is it radioactive powers maybe well, he's got like his fingers like mangled and the sword like jabbed in and taped on i think like, he said something Avenger. i think he said something in an interview which was like the director wanted him basically to fight in a samurai style, but Cage was like, we do not have time to do that. So it's like, I'll keep like a Western kind of like boxing style. Yeah. And that'll be kind of mishmash of the elements, which this film is anyway. So I, I wasn't offended by it. I just, I mean, he slid about seven times and the samurai had no counter for it. <laughs> which just, just, He's a fast. He's a fast, like a little raccoon. Oh my God. It's like... He's, he's war zone slide cancelling everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so funny. He's wearing a little helmet as well. It's like he's out of a Bethesda game. Like he's like dishonored or something. It's so funny. But then it helmet. cuts. But you can tell it's clearly a stunt man because when it cuts to the real Nicolas Cage, he looks like a fridge. He's trying to punch people. <laughs> fridge wearing a helmet. I mean, in the, in the scenes he's in, he, he gives himself it all and he can't take that from him. He gives his all in these he, fight he, scenes. He, he gives it all in the balls as well. That is so funny when they nutshot each other. And it's so authentic that they need to take a sec. The delayed response is it's like a it's like a um it's like a bomb going off across the world when you press a button in another continent, isn't it? It's just like when you get hit in the nuts, it's for me it's like ah! It's, it's like and, such a delayed reaction. And I a, bell, a bell rings as well. They kick each other in the nuts, it goes ding ding. <laughs> yeah. it's got great foley work in it this movie it's got fantastic like it starts off strong with like maybe the fakest whistle i've ever heard like the woman puts her fingers to her mouth and it's literally looney tunes comes out it's amazing it's so cartoonish this there's a bit as well i can't remember if it's yasajiro who this happens to or it's him who slices a different samurai but someone gets their neck slit, and obviously the guy with the, the samurai who this happens to, like their back is facing the camera, but the gushy of blood is quite clearly coming from their chest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of these stabbings, the prosthetics aren't too great. When he when he goes to stab him in the neck, and you can you can clearly see he's just missed his neck because it's like angling around on the other side. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think. Um... Tak Sakaguchi, I think he's a stuntman anyway. So his choreography in the fight scenes were honestly really, really fun. And like it's yeah. the it's the last ten minutes, and I'm sitting up finally going like, oh, oh god, this is actually quite good again. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like the then, best cage fight scene I've seen. I've only granted I've only seen him punch a bear. I mean, you, have you, you've not you've seen, seen Wally's Wonderland. Wonderland. I haven't actually. I haven't seen Wally's Wonderland, Pig, or. Um, Name another recent one. I, 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 this, I had a cage lull. I had a lull in my cage schedule up until this. The last one I'd seen before this, I think, was Color Out of Space, which I enjoyed a lot more than the guy who was on it. <laughs> he hated every second of it. But I, yeah. uh, I I, quite enjoyed it. It's not for everyone, obviously. Vittorio Angeloni likes what he likes. My God, I respect it. Um, if you, hey, you know if that movie is for you as soon as you see the alpacas. If if you if you can deal with that, you can deal with the rest of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, it, fight scenes, obviously, Benice gets like a, some fights in at the end, and they're great. And it's it's she's great, man. She's fantastic. They she they really wasted her here. I feel a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. They. I feel that uh, Sophia Butella did not get a 
serviced quite well in this movie. Then at the end, it's like, oh, because she gets like a really sweet fight scene. She puts a goddamn clip into the governor. Of like, yeah. right, taking back a bit of control of some agency here. Um, and then I feel like the film does quite suddenly end. It feels yeah, quite have, sharp. They're like just chilling out, aren't they? The woman who, who refuses to die, refusing to die still. And they're just chilling out on a bench, aren't they? I can't remember if there are... Yeah. Is there anything specific? It's like heroes bleeding out, Susie's bleeding out. Uh, they do the whole chilling. They do the whole Matrix uh, revelation celebration at the end when they're all free and stuff, and they do a dance, and it's like the Lion King or something, and then it's just like over. It's like they they free the town, and then the townspeople kind of like, right now what? And then they're all walking off into the sunset. Which I've read is supposed, I don't know, symbolising a changing of the times. Because back in the Ghostland, they're like, oh, time can move again. And they let the clock go in and it just falls off through some stairs. Maybe it's something to do with Japan, land of the rising sun, the times in Japan changing? I'm not sure. Well, well, one thing I read, I think going back to this whole ending explained thing, um, I think it's meant to be that like... um, the ghost land is a radioactive remains from a horrific event inhabited by restless spirits of those who died from the nuclear event. Rather than being a spiritual realm, this is a limbo of sorts that has trapped these souls. It is up to Hero to free them. The movie heavily suggests that Psycho played a key role in the crash and that he wouldn't have been on the bus had Hero not betrayed him, um, since Hero inadvertently caused the cataclysm with everything with the robbery. So it's fitting for him to be the one to save them. It continues. More importantly, <laughs> Hero is contacted by the many victims of his actions, the ghost children, I think, and he's given an opportunity to redeem himself. As he tells Psycho, he had assumed the ghosts hated him, but through his transformative journey in rescuing Benice, he discovers they needed him because he is radioactive. I guess. The governor's evil raid is keeping the ghosts frozen in the moment of the event, as symbolised by them holding back the hands on the clock. When the task is done, time is able to move forward again, which sets their spirits free. You see, a lot of this nuance is very undermined by the fact that Nicolas Cage has testicles on his arms. <laughs> <laughs> like You're going to make it so ridiculous, you're going to lose a lot of that uh, subtext, which we all know is for cowards. <laughs> I, you know, I don't believe in subtext. I believe in exploding testicles. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does it does a lot of show and no fucking tell whatsoever. It's like you know William Tell. This is William Show. It doesn't do any of that at all. Bill this Tell, is, Bill Show. I mean this this is kind of ultimately the thing. You can see a lot of influences in this movie, and it's a very weird kind of Gonzo throw shit at the walls mishmash elements with some great fights in choreography visually like the set design and the sort of cinematography is really strong Sofia Vitello is quite wasted uh, Nick Cassavetes in the few in like the, ultimately four minutes of screen time he has is quite engaging um we're throwing this again you know nobody intended cage rage style of Nicolas Cage but it just feels messy and thin and on the plot and quite muddled. And as we've established here, we do not know what happened. We think there are messages in this film, but we're not quite certain. I've had to consult the internet to fucking tell me what happened and what the through line of this movie is. Um, you so you sound so deliriously confused right now. Like you sound I like s- a survivor in a found footage movie. <laughs> Everyone is dead. 
There's tentacles on the arm. <laughs> it's also not very. It's subtle as well, but it's also very like incredibly unsubtle with like the very stereotypical American. Like if you printed off a dollar bill, uh, this governor would be on it, wouldn't he? Basically, or like if you made a new type of KFC, he'd be on it. And it's also like so on the nose of so, some of its influences. Like at one point, they don't they shout, don't they like chant "Long live the animal farm, <laughs> long live the animal farm." They may yeah. as well have just gone like, "I have read George Orwell. I have read George Orwell." <laughs> they should so have sh- they should have like had it on the screen like three, two, one, influencing coming. <laughs> but I'd, I'd read some of it because this film debuted at Sundance in 2021 when it came out and apparently there was a scene that got cut out or I guess changed by the time this was like a more like a home release of physical mm-hmm. media release where it was Tak Sakaguchi was killing people as a samurai to the song Time in a Bottle and that got cut out which I think was sounds on paper like it would, would have been quite cool but and I think this is the issue. Like a lot of elements on paper of this film sound really cool, but then you watch it and you're like, "I feel like my testicle exploded, and I'm on, <laughs> and I'm on top of like in front of a clock of a doomed world, going screaming bitches at people because I don't understand what's happening." <laughs> testicle. He's, he takes it pretty chill though, losing the testicle for the most part. It's like he gets in like a post testicle funk for a minute, and then he he's pretty pretty cool about it. He like mentions it once, and then he just goes about his day. Like, don't you think his gait would have been a bit affected? You'd you would have had a bit of a limp. He, of... he he does quite well, and I guess credit to the construction of the bombs that it, it can specifically only take out one testicle, and there's no collateral on the second. Well, also maybe the nuclear effect made it somewhat more like a cashew. That's a possibility. <laughs> That's the subtext I need to know. <laughs> I need to know the exact biology of his radioactive nards. I need to see Nicolas Cage's balls. <laughs> I cannot stress that enough. It's just like, make it a tweet, but do the clap emojis. <laughs> I need Nicolas Cage balls. Yes. Well, Yars Queen. <laughs> Yars King Queens. Yes. Yes, ladies, gentlemen, and the gender progressive. Um, I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think I think I'm more in line with the audience score on this, which is twenty percent. The critical consensus is now sixty-one percent, which is fresh, the, which I'm surprised about. Which is, it, it did not have a lot of ratings. I think it had a fair few. I'd have to sort of go back and check. Um, but the the overall consensus, and I feel they just take this from like one review. Uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland is far from Sono's most distinctive work, but viewers in the mood for a deliriously gonzo genre mashup featuring an explosive performance from Nicolas Cage just might have a drum roll, please. Ball. Ball. Yes. <laughs> right now, I I don't wish to uh, support a um, you know, but the fact that this is maybe his least distinctive movie makes me feel like the rest of them will be. Alice in Wonderland daydreams, fever dreams. If this is him at his most PG-13, if this is Francis Ford Coppola's kids for this director, then I want to know what the rest of his stuff is. Yeah, yeah, it's... um, Yeah, I don't know that I'd... Obviously, with certain events in light, I don't think I'm in any rush to go and consult the back catalogue of um, this man. Um... 
<laughs> no, the, 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 this one. The 61% was based on 157 reviews, actually. Really? Lot, I'm very surprised about that. A lot of like... people check this out. And I think this it but... debuted at Sundance, and then another UK, or well, even the European premiere was at Fright Fest in August of 2021, mm-hmm. um, which I couldn't get to because of work. Um, but I'd, I'd seen some people who I sort of like know on the old interwebs and the film twitters who were kind of like so oh obviously no spoilers but how was the film and it was kind of like eh. nah i'm not sure <laughs> yeah. i don't know what i watched i'm surprised about that honestly though i feel like that's one of them things where it's more maybe for like critics who look at things a lot deeper than like me who like needs to know all of the stuff about the balls and doesn't like to be told and doesn't like to like you know doesn't need to be shown the balls. And, and sorry, he likes to be shown the balls and told about the balls and not just like make up my own conclusions about the balls. You just don't neglect the balls. You don't neglect the balls. You've got to gobble them up. I mean, I mean, like to this day, like reviews are still sort of coming through for it, trickling on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's the reviews are mixed, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it's on IMDb. It has uh, 4.2 out of 10. I usually go by IMDb more. I find that, like, um, that's um, like in terms of like audience response, because I find like RT audience response is like one like empowered woman in a movie away from uh, from being review bombed uh so whereas IMDb is a bit more foolproof of that kind of thing but I usually go by that and like it's kind of falls in the horror kind of area a little bit I guess because it was on Shudder who must have watched it because they bought it exclusively and I don't, I don't know if if they watched it beforehand I don't know why they'd buy it exclusively <laughs> if they had watched it um but you look in, I find for like this kind of movie on IMDb, you're looking at like a five point five for it to be like a good movie because the way IMDb works is they don't really like this kind of movie on there. They don't like violent, like weird horror kind of movies on there. But so mm. the fact that this has got like a four point something tells me that it's not resonated at all. Like most horror movies, if it gets over a five point five out of ten. On IMDb, it's basically Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, I think I, Halloween Kills got like a five point one, which is too kind. <laughs> I, I didn't. Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. I think yeah. if Prisoners of the Ghostland had uh, the ghosts screaming "Evil dies tonight," I would have respected <laughs> it. I would have respected it more. <laughs> Did you like Halloween Kills? I didn't. I didn't love it. Didn't hate it. I was like, well, it literally said Halloween kills. Fine, let's just. I could have done without the whole um, mob chasing that poor inmate thing. Poor penguin. What? What's that about? I could have. I could have done without that. But most like, like on the nose allegory for Twitter. I think that was. Ever. I was like, loved Halloween. It was like, whatever about Halloween kills. But right now, I'm like, let's just do Halloween ends and just get through this thing. Yeah, Halloween Kills just it feels it felt a lot to me like the success kind of went to the writers' heads and they just tried to cook too many things and it just came out like an absolute fart sandwich, which isn't a thing I think I've ever uh, called something before. It's a sandwich full of farts. Well, I suppose speaking of reviews, then I, I guess as we come towards the end of this episode as well. 
Uh, and if I guess the last proceeding hour hasn't really made it clear, what would be your sort of final thoughts on Prisoners of the Ghostland? I think it's a bad movie made by a <laughs> bad man, but <laughs> yeah. it's also very good. It's also a movie that I think you need to watch and you need to experience it. I feel like, honestly, I've said this before, but I feel like it's the kind of movie that gets some kind of underground appreciation. People who go into it expecting it to not be uh, a brilliant movie will get the kind of underground appreciation that some cult classic bad movies have got, you know, like um, uh, Room, The Room and Troll 2 and it's not Samurai Cop, is it? What's the California Cop? What's it called? Ninja Cop? I'm sure someone will tell me, but it's like an 80s movie. One of those so bad it's good movie is it's it needs to be seen to be believed, honestly. And like you said, you do need to see it a few times. Uh, I'm glad I watched it, and I'm actually really glad that I picked this one and I didn't get any of the movies that I wanted to watch <laughs> before. <clears throat> I think it was Mandy I wanted to watch to begin with, wasn't it, for this podcast? You've, you've pushed yourself into... And sometimes the best thing to do is to go in blind to a cage movie yeah. not anticipating for yeah. a, of just a different experience, which is kind of what I find, what I continue to find now that uh, the, the less you know about... I think in general, the less you know about movies going in, the better an experience you're going to have. Um, but not with this one, though. I think you need to read the synopsis a little bit. <laughs> I was aware of bits and pieces of this uh, and what some other people have said, but I think I, I agree. I think it's one that can be very confusing on the first watch through uh if you want a very best of cage rage bits and pieces you'll find it here i use this word a lot i think it's a little bit muddled i think there's a much better film in here um and i you know I, it, it's it's such an on the fence movie for me it's i'm not unhappy that i've seen it but I, even though I'm saying I need to watch it again, I'm in no rush to I watch think it if, again. I think that the next time you watch it, Daryl, you get together your friends, and if you can, like, convince them to descend into lunacy with you and watch this. And I think you'll find that you just laugh all the way through it. I think it would be one of the funniest fucking things you've ever seen. <laughs> A second time around. Seeing your friend's reactions to just absolute fever dream would be, make it so much better. <laughs> Well, this this movie came out in in the UK three days after I turned thirty. So this is like the the, the, the honorary t- coming of age film. <laughs> just, just 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 nail in the dementia early. <laughs> oh, no. just to accelerate the mental uh, the mental health crisis a bit more. As I slip and slide <laughs> towards the grave, this is one of the landmark movies of my thirties. <laughs> what did you do uh, for your thirtieth? Did you were you when you were coming up to your thirtieth? Did you feel like the uh, the sky was falling as I did? Uh, inconsolable. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's. A, that's. But I will say I, I will say turned thirty had a lovely birthday um, courtesy of my lovely lovely wonderful other half. Um, hello, Kim. Hello, hello, Kim. Um, and now. I, I've, it's happened. I'm fine. I've, I've, I've blinked. I'm like, fuck. I'm nearly thirty-one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just how it's gonna go. So, uh, roll on, death. Can't wait. <laughs> skip, skip the middle part. Pissing around. This, this just podcast get, will be my legacy, and I'm okay with that. Just get to the bit where I can piss myself freely. <laughs> <and> <laughs> 
I mean, get rid I, of all the taxes and that. I'm six foot four, so I'm fighting oh, gravity most for. Shut up about your fucking stop rubbing it in. Rubbing it in. Why don't you share some of that, some of that wealth, eh? Bloody five foot six over here. <laughs> you know, are you feeling it in your back? Because I'm feeling I've, like I'm shrinking. I've felt it for at least ten years. Oh, man, it hurts. On my thirtieth, on my thirtieth, I remember um it was uh I was literally ticking down to midnight and the more the minutes got closer to midnight the closer i got to the ground until it basically got to the 20th of october itself and i was on the floor <laughs> i think I just wailing i think what i shouldn't have done in the run-up to my 30th was watch bo burnham's inside hungover i've never shouldn't, watched that i shouldn't have done it make, i know it'd make me feel and it'd make me think and i'm at that age now where i don't want to think or feel so <laughs> Danger territory. No, I'm quite done with learning now. I don't want to learn anymore. No, I'm setting I'm... my ways, thank you. I want to be a hindrance to the next generation. Yeah. Give me recalls for the rest of my life. Don't let don't make don't, don't just let me sit in my little nostalgia train for the rest of my life. Thank you very much. I wanna be I... fighting for my life in a rocking chair in a home somewhere screaming, Nick Cage has never made a bad film. <laughs> That's my legacy. What is the worst movie you've watched in this, would you say? Um, what part of he hasn't made a bad I'll... movie do you not get? Huh? <laughs> which huh? is the less good? Which is which? If it were, if they were all worth an Oscar, which would would be worth the Oscar the least? Um, I've, this is a film I've made my thoughts quite clear on, and in other podcasts as well. Shout out to Cage Uh Deadfall. It's not great, but it's also a five star movie. Um, <laughs> just, just. I'm a five star man. <laughs> just Google Nicolas Cage Deadfall uh, or YouTube it and then come back to me after that and then we'll talk. Okay, I'll watch that. I'll put that in my... Um, but as as we end on the visage of Nicolas Cage in Deadfall, uh, Jimmy Dinellon, as we wrap up in this ghost land here and deliriously turn ourselves radioactive... Um, I don't think I'll ever leave this ghost land. I don't think I'll ever really leave here. The ghost land of the mind, baby. Yeah. Uh, where can we find you on the old socials and thus and this and that and things? Uh, I wouldn't follow me on social media. I'm <laughs> terrible. Uh, but uh, if you want to visit my website, it's culturevultures.com. I occasionally, every six months or so, write something good on there. The rest of the time, I cover Fortnite guides and literally ever uh, every other writer on there you should read instead of me. Including Daryl sometimes, every two, three years these days. Or you can go on YouTube, there you go, and listen to Daryl some more on the Cultured Vultures YouTube channel, which I have abandoned because I've not become Mr. Beast overnight and I'm not happy about that. Um, but there's still a wonderful archive of videos on there. Uh, one of them about Jack and Daxter, which you should watch. If you want to hear me get say things wrong, then go to the Cultured Vultures <laughs> YouTube channel. And you can hear me talk like this, but more so. So all the links in the description as ever. Uh, and if you've enjoyed the episode, give it a like, follow it, share it around, you know, all the usual things. Hit me up on the socials, links in the description below as well. Uh, it's going to the end of this episode, Prisoners of the Ghostland. 
It can stay there. Uh, Jimmy Dunnellan, thank you for joining me. It's been a rapty pleasure. And as ever, we'll catch you in the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you, take care, and a goodbye. And there we go, episode 95 in the bag. If you enjoyed the episode, do reach out on the usual social medias. I'm on Twitter at Cage underscore podcast, Instagram at Cage Rage Pod. I'm on TikTok as well at Cage Rage Podcast. All the links in the description. Reach out, get in touch. Um, let's talk about the Golden Hog, yeah? Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. Um, just trying a little, little sign off at the end. I mean, you know, he's, he's picked episode 95 in which to start experimenting with the format but hey what are you gonna do about it um so just wanted to sort of drop in here i guess future plans for the podcast because we're we're coming towards the end we're catching up it's exciting it's scary we're almost there the finish line is in sight for now at least until um new films drop in the later year and next year as well so eventually i think i'm gonna do something called uh Cage Rage Revisited or Cage Rage to the Re-Raging, whichever one sounds better, where I'm going to look back at some of the older Nicolas Cage films. These are a few pre-2002 things, with one or two exceptions, because uh, way back in the when, the podcast, it just used to be me rambling, much like this, and I just wanted to go back sort of with guests and just recover some of the films that I just don't feel I did proper justice too so that'll be films like raising arizona films like the rock and face off um vampires kiss just to name but a few there'll be some more in there it'll be anywhere from eight to twelve episodes long um that's that's it up in the air at the moment how many episodes exactly that will be and then eventually we're going to be moving on to new territories entirely we're going to be looking at willem dafoe in the podcast we're going to call Getting Defoe You, and we're going to be covering all of the Willem Defoe films. So that is going to be very exciting. A lot of films in the filmography of Mr. Defoe, and he keeps making films, and he keeps making good films. The man rarely misses. So that's going to be exciting to cover as well. So still lots in the works, lots to come. Uh, I hope you'll be there through the thick and the thin of it with me, your boy. It would be an honour to have you on this continuing journey. Um, you know, we're on the journey to True Cage Nirvana, but the trains can go in many different directions, baby. But with that said, we'll start wrapping this one up again. Thanks again to Jimmy Dunnellan for joining me for Prisoners of the Ghostland. Thank you for listening. Keep on, keep on caging. That's all we have to do. Take care. Oh, you have to do it!